We'll start as we always do anyway by taking a look at the Sunday newspapers and our panel in studio to help me do that this morning Lise Hand, columnist with the Times Ireland edition Good morning Lise Good morning uh, Professor Gary Murphy is a political scientist at DCU and author of Electoral Competition in Ireland since 1987 Good morning Gary Hi Gavin And Shane Dempsey is Communications Director at the Construction Industry Federation Good morning Shane How are you? Good morning Gavin uh, Now let's have a quick look at what's on the front of the newspapers We'll start with the Sunday Business Post Private firms isn't that always the way? Private firms set to get broadband contracts for thousands of homes. Michael Brennan, Hugh O'Connell and Roisin Burke have this story. They say that private firms are likely to hoover up the broadband contracts for tens of thousands of homes, further reducing the properties available for connection under the state's national broadband plan. Uh-oh. Air has already provided high-speed broadband to 35,000 of the 542,000 homes in the intervention area covered by the plan. This brings the actual number of homes to be connected down to 507,000, even before the contract with the preferred bidder, Granahan court is signed. Air has provided or confirmed that it will provide fibre optic broadband to another 50,000 homes in urban areas inside the intervention area. There is nothing to stop it connecting these easy to reach homes first and once this happens Granahan McCourt will not be able to claim any state subsidy for them but I'm pretty sure given the way that the deal is structured I'm pretty sure that we have to pay Granahan McCourt who are now obliged to connect those homes or at least to run fibre past them even if there is already a private network that is able to connect them anyway. Also on the front page of the Business Post, Reddit chief warns of potential housing threat to expansion. Killian Woods reports that a senior executive at the online company Reddit has said that the rising cost of housing, which makes it harder for new college graduates to live in Dublin, could affect the company's future plans to expand in Ireland. The online message board giant, which is valued at $3 billion, has announced plans to open its first physical presence outside the US in Dublin. It would involve hiring 25 staff before the end of this year, who will oversee the firm's gifts and chat services. But Reddit's chief technology officer, Chris Slau, says the company plans to hire a general manager next year to further establish the Irish office, but they are concerned about the cost of housing and their ability to expand and create more jobs. Front page of the Irish Mail on Sunday. I absolutely love this story. NIMBY HSE objects to drug clinic. NIMBY there is in inverted commas, and as you know, NIMBY stands for not in my backyard because a section of the HSE has issued a tender for a controversial drug injection centre and then objected to it being located beside its own offices. The bizarre situation has led one minister to tell the Irish Mail on Sunday that this will likely mean that the project will never progress. The Health Business Services Unit of the HSE, which is based in Merchants Quay in Dublin City Centre, the same area as the proposed injection centre, has raised fears of the safety of residents and workers, of antisocial behaviour, of a shortage of Gardaí, of individuals defecating on the streets, and parishioners being too scared to go to Mass. I like the order in which they put those. Uh, The objection has been described as nimbyism on a classic scale, but it does necessarily necessarily mean perhaps that the very project that the HSE have tried to commission now won't take place because the HSE are worried that it will take place on their own doorsteps. Front page of the Sunday Independent, meanwhile, Jim Sheridan eyes Mr. Moonlight murder for film. Uh, Neve Horan has this. She says that Oscar-nominated film director Jim Sheridan attended the Mr. Moonlight murder trial and has expressed his interest in turning the story into a documentary film. The trial attracted unprecedented interest, as we all know, with evidence dealing with sex, love, rivalry and land ownership, and it could now make it to the big screen. Speaking to the Sunday Independent, Mr. Sheridan said, I was there in the court a few times, citing curiosity as his main impulse. He said, I didn't really want to pursue the family because I know everyone will be pursuing them but I think it would make for a very interesting documentary. Uh, other things that might make for slightly more uh, interesting things for, for the nerdier among us is the main story of the Sunday Independent. They report that Leo Varadkar's €3 billion Euro tax cut is now in doubt. Philip Ryan says that the €3 billion Euro tax cut election pledge is under threat 
due to the cost of, well, you've guessed it, extending high-speed broadband throughout the country. Mr Varadkar has promised to significantly increase the entry point for the top rate of tax to €50,000 within the next five years. That would save workers earning that amount up to €3,000 a year. But the Taoiseach is now being warned that he can't just print money to fulfil his tax commitments while also spending a further €3 billion of the state's cash on the national broadband plan. The warning comes as the Sunday Independent reveals that the government spent an extraordinary €23.6 million on consultancy firms during the tendering process for the state broadband project. And on a similar note, on the front page of the Sunday Times, broadband bid winner has just €200 million at stake. Now, those of you who have been paying very close attention will know that we are, uh, the state itself could be putting up to €3 billion Euro into this state project. But we learned via the Sunday Times this morning that Granahan McCourt, the government's chosen bidder for the €5 billion Euro national broadband plan, that's the total cost to everyone, is putting less than €200 million Euro equity into the project, according to Michael Creed, the Minister for Agriculture. They are quoting something that the Minister for Agriculture said on Wednesday morning to Gavin Grace, speaking on Clare FM. Let's take a listen. The state is providing a subsidy to Granham McCourt who are putting in, I think, in the region of something shy of 200 million, I think, but I'm not quite sure of so the you're figure there. So you're paying 3 billion and they're putting in less than 200 million? Yeah, but, but bear in mind, Gavin, this is an area where no commercial operator currently wants to go. Michael Creed speaking to Gavin Grace on Clare FM on Wednesday, apparently accidentally revealing that the state is putting in 15 times more than the private operator who we are leaving the network with in the hands of uh, after we have outspent them 15 to 1. Uh, Lee's hand, not to put you on the chopping block as the chief economist in the room, but uh, how's that supposed to work? Well, there you go. I was actually just thinking it might be, I, I might put together a consortium and crowdfund uh, 200 million because, you know, why the hell not? Um, yeah, the, the the whole story is a morass, a morass of figures. You know, you have this debate over how much, the, the you know, the consortium are putting in as opposed to how much the, the government are going to pay. And then most crucially, not actually even own the thing at the end of it all, mm. which is another massive bone of contention over this. I mean, there are so many st- different strands to the story. You know, you have... The fact that, you know, a government department, uh, the you know, the, the secretary general of the government department was, tre- you know, issued trenchant opposition to this uh, going ahead. Mm. But the government went ahead without it and or with, you know, against the evidence and not only, you know, went ahead, it went ahead with bells and whistles on rolling out, you know, rolling, literally mm. having a rollout of ministers. Yeah, uh, eight, last, of eight of them in, yeah. in total uh, for the for the launch of this last week. You know, you have that strand, you have the, you know, the, pre- the price tag argument, you have, is it worth it? You have, you know, does, you know, is this a political stunt? Because, of course, timing is everything. Mm. And, you know, you have the opposition who are in a tricky position, Gavin, because they have, you know, they have to try to be seen to holding the government to account over how they've handled this. But at the same time, particularly for Fianna Fáil, um, not necessarily knock the whole thing entirely because mm. obviously rural broadband is a massive issue and more than one politician has told me over the last weeks that they are it is coming up on the doors Yeah, you know when I've been out on, on, on the hustings uh, over the last week or two they say yes that rural broadband is coming up on the doors and people want it and you know it feeds into this whole thing about rural Ireland is neglected we want you know we want something now it's mm. a rural urban divide it's a digital divide so, you know, again, it's a morass. I mean, you know, there's a sort of a, there's a sense of deja vu about the whole thing. I mean, you know, we were here not so long ago with the Capital Project, you know, with, with the National Children's Hospital, which mm. has just been parked while we have a row, while, yeah. while this row happens. So, you know, if they were, I think if the government, Gavin, were hoping to time this nicely, 
you know, as a as a run into the to the uh, European and local elections, they made a bit of a bags of it. Well, there's a conspiracy theory going around about whether exactly the timing is intended to do that, and I'm going to come to Gary about that in just a moment. But before I do, uh, Shane, with your hat on as the uh, representative of the Construction Industry Federation, I'm not saying that you're the person with the the hard hat on who's actually going to be doing all the physical rolling out. But most people would look at the the nature of the project when the government's defence for not owning the network at the end is that after 25 years this network is going to be pretty much redundant that it might need an awful lot of upkeep and that it's simply not worth having uh, but all of that aside people will just think how could it possibly cost 3 billion euro to just lay out some wires albeit 144,000 kilometres worth of wires but like it's just some wires in the ground. Well, I wouldn't uh, understand the mechan- mechanics of how these things are <laughs> costed. Uh, and we do look forward to rolling out uh, the broadband network, yeah. whoever uh, does it in eventually. But, uh, I mean, it is interesting that the two major political issues that have faced the government in the last uh, couple of months have been pertaining to capital projects mm. and specifically to how procurement occurs. And it's a big bugbear of our industry uh, around about how public procurement is, is is actually rolled out. Uh, people tend to forget that the civil service uh, have had a recession as well and a lot of that institutional memory and expertise around procurement is gone. So currently they don't have the expertise to really procure so for these major projects. you actually projects. think that a lot of the people who might have been better able to advise them when it came to this or the National Children's Hospital simply just walked out the door because they had incentivised early retirement? I think they, they have uh, admitted and they are currently looking at their own p- public procurement uh, uh, capacity. There's talk about about uh, establishing, you know, an academy whereby um, the o- the OGP, which is the Office of Government Procurement, mm. um, spreads this best practice knowledge that they have mm. out across all the uh, uh, contracting authorities. But look, like none of these things ever make financial Mm. sense they can't they're too vast you know Mm. electrification didn't um, and every other project you know over a certain size won't make won't make actual sense to do it but then the social contribution of these projects um, become absolutely evident when you think about uh, the digital uh, the digitally disadvantaged areas is what we're calling them I suppose Um, and look we're picking up in our industry that's a real corporate uh, presentation isn't it the digitally disadvantaged Disadvantaged, once upon a we just used to call them the uh, you know the abandoned or the rurally ones or the yes, you know yes, the infrastructurally yeah, yeah, yeah. deprived yeah. challenges yeah, I think so it's a new yeah. 4G version of yeah. all of that <laughs> yeah. um, so, so, so but we've seen the impact of that and in the UK you know the anywheres versus the somewheres you know mm. uh, the anywheres are from London they can move they have the qualifications they're liberal etc etc the somewheres are from particular conservative areas mm. and they felt isolated so now apart from being uh, yeah. isolated in the old sense they're yeah. actually digitally isolated as well so you can see what might happen politically so this mm. has to happen but it's how it rolls out There is already a, a text to 53106 to point out that the head of the Office of Government Procurement is a member of the board of the National Children's Hospital so surely the person who is most qualified to offer some guidance on contracting and the likes should also have perhaps been able to rein that in or isolate those problems a little bit earlier um, Gary Murphy the, um, the conspiracy pro- uh, theory that I was going to raise to you um, people were a little bit surprised that the government published all of these memos earlier in the week because they mm. effectively created a PR problem of their own making by making it very clear that they were disregarding a lot of advice from very highly qualified senior servants. There is a theory that the government has therefore announced that it's going to do broadband before signing a contract or putting shovels in the ground or anything mm. so that it could potentially go to the doors for the next two weeks, tell people in the local elections we're delivering broadband, even if it might take seven years to get there, knowing that in two weeks' time after the local elections they still could turn around and say actually maybe we need to revise this whole procurement thing so it's kind of a Schrodinger's broadband because it's both agreed and not agreed at the same time or in the box and out the box uh, exactly <laughs> I uh, 
I'm not sure, really, is the, and I don't think anyone is sure. Uh, I mean, I think in one way there's great credit due to the Minister for Finance and Public Expenditure, Pascal Donoghue, for actually publishing the advice and the trenchant criticism uh, from his uh, Secretary General, uh, Robert Watt. Uh, is he covering himself though? I heard Ivan Yates standing in this studio early in the week saying that because Pascal Donoghue had agreed to let all of that out that perhaps this is his way of saying that politically while he can't go against the decision he does want there to be dissenting voices out there. Yeah, I think there's I think there's a touch of the Ivan Yates cynicism going on there to be perfectly <laughs> frank. Oh, um, the cynics are available. <laughs> and I've plenty of cynicism myself. I think Pascal Donoghue is... Uh, Many ways, the most impressive politician in the government at the moment, and uh, he's the one driving it uh, financially. It's interesting that the Department of Finance are uh, are quiet on all this, uh, whereas communications are, are out front with Mark Griffin saying that uh, the Secretary General. And mm. uh, there's a piece in the Business Post, classic the civil servants lays bare an urban rural split by Michael. Uh, Brennan. Yeah, so this is the idea that because Robert Watt is a Dubliner but Mark Griffin, yeah, his counterpart Dubliner, yeah. in, in communications, is a rural man that, yeah. that Griffin wants it irrespective of the cost yeah, and that Watt I, I, doesn't. Well, indeed. And, and to go back to the politics of it, I mean, uh, it's been really interesting listening to the the, the the shows over the last few days. Everyone's for this plan. Uh, the idea is basically how do you pay for it and who owns it at the end of the day. And I think mm. Fianna Fáil have been t- kind of turning themselves or tying themselves in knots. I would disagree with Shane on, on procurement a little bit because the last time I was on the show a few weeks ago, we talked about the, the National Children's Hospital. Mm. Uh, governments are obsessed with consultants, as we know, and will always, you know, get a consultant support. Colin McCarthy makes the point, and consultants always want to build things mm. and always want to have their advice, you know, taken on board. And just the, the cost of these consultants. But it's just it's outsourcing the blame, though, isn't it? What is it completely? And but that's been that's been the way of uh, the state since its foundation. Um, there's also been some interesting commentary about uh, civil service advice being ignored before. Famous example of uh, rural electrification, although, as Dermot Furter, I think, pointed out in yesterday's Irish Times, that wasn't quite uh, the case. The Department of Finance wasn't quite against it, but it was against, again, how much it would cost and mm. how long it would take. Uh, or if you look at things like uh, free secondary education, which transformed this state in the 1960s, the Department of Finance were against that mm. on cost reasons. Or if you look at uh, someone like... Uh, Charlie Hawhey in the late 60s on the uh, artist tax exemption. You know, the Roundup Finance were completely against that for obvious reasons, again, relating uh, to cost. So the idea that the civil service, remember, which was on watch when this country went down the tubes in the late... Uh, or in the uh, in 2008 or so, uh, you remember the advice coming from the Department of Finance was that this would be a soft crash. Uh, you know, there was nothing really to worry about. Um, so I, but I think this idea that civil civil servants are somehow omniscient and know everything mm. is uh, is slightly overstated. We did think have a very soft landing, pain, didn't we? Saying, yeah. oh, you know, just listen to the advice yeah. of the civil servants, and I have great admiration uh, for Robert Watt personally, yeah. but also you yeah. know, on a wider. But I, I think uh, we need to be a little bit cautious about. Yeah, there was an interesting note. I just there was an interesting line. I can't remember now which paper. It might have been in Michael Brennan's piece or um, it may have been in Sunday Independent. But it was just said that, you know, when the government were casting about and considering all alternatives and options and, you know, all possible permutations of this, one of the things they did consider was putting it to a vote in the Dáil, mm. which was essentially to smoke out Fianna Fáil mm. because who have been doing the, they have been the Schrodingers, you know, both for and simultaneously for yeah. and against it for and again it um, mm. we decided against it because they were afraid that all kinds of amendments might get attached and then she were off to the races you know yeah. for God knows how long that's new politics for you yeah. That's yeah well that's <laughs> new politics for you and you, you know there are other I think there's other sort of subtle col- you know connotations need to be considered as well is that 
you know, the, this is a minority government that are been propped up by quite a lot of rural mm. sort of TDs. Yeah. And you have someone like Michael Lowry, who is, you know, you look on his website and he's on the record as demanding, you know, the, the mm. you know, the rollout of broadband well, ASAP. Sean Canny was on the stage among those eight ministers on Wednesday. And Sean Canny. And you, you, uh, you were there, Gavin, so mm. you probably, as long, as long with I, noticed that. Uh, the MC of, for the occasion, Richard Bruton, was very careful to actually go to the mm. likes of Michael Ring, you know, the King of Rural Ireland and, and mm. Sean Kenny, mm. so they could have a few words. You well, know, Charlie Flanagan sat there having lent the hall, saying nothing for the whole exactly. thing. Exactly. Yeah. So, but it was, def- it was definitely yeah. striking that Leo Varadkar at one point said, we haven't heard from Michael Ring. And then Michael Ring turns around and Which gives the... Which in itself is an unusual statement, <laughs> yeah, let's face it. And gives the classic, <laughs> the classic political line of nobody would object to rural Ireland having a bit of broadband. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, nobody, nobody would mind if we draw down a bit of broadband, yeah. I think, as well. You know, so you know, so there is very much, uh, you know, and I think it is understandable, you know, to to sort of say, okay, we are taking a chance. This is a massive risk. It's obviously mm. a huge risk, mm. with you know, financial implications. Again, we'll go on and talk about the possible implications to future budgets. Yeah, um, but you know, it is to deal with the. Whatever, what did you, how did you, what did you describe digitally it as? Digital, the digitally disadvantaged. That's hard to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bits of Ireland with no broadband, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think, and I think it was Pat Rabbit today in the Sunday Business Post did a column kind of saying, look, you know, we have to get on with this because mm. an awful lot of, you know, people are working remotely. You know, he said he's personally seen, you know, when he was when he was in government, mm. you know, putting broadband into school, you know, how it yeah. immediately enhanced the ability of the pupils to get things done. Mm. So I think they are sticking to their guns on this and saying we'll take the short term flack for the long term gain. Mm. I so, thought it was very interesting that Richard Bruton uh, gave a kind of a coded message on Thursday afternoon. He was taking Q&A in the Dáil about all of this and he was asked over and over again about this idea of does the Dáil want to have a vote on this? And he said, well, you know, I'm the communications minister. I'm a member of the government. I can only act in that role for as long as I have the approval of the Dáil. And if the Dáil doesn't like some of the decisions that I make, then the Dáil has its prerogatives, which was the most uh, politely coded Richard Bruton-esque way of saying back me or sack me, really. That, that That's really the, the, the stakes that he's trying to raise it to. And uh, we've already lost him in the you know, the broadband mm. plan has already mm. seen one minister bite the dust. To lose two would be really unfortunate. Would be wouldn't very, it? very unfortunate. Uh, on Wildean levels. Uh, Shane, you wanted to come back in. Is, is there anyone afraid, uh, we're talking 4G, I think, here with this broadband, is there anyone else uh, afraid of 5G? Because on the front page of the Sunday Times, we're told that spies will target new it's, it's a network. fabulous location of of, uh, <laughs> of stories, isn't it? That right beside yeah. the two hundred million euro, we're yeah. being advised that in yeah. fact Huawei are going yeah. to be uh, tapping on all tapping of our Netflix and chill. Yeah, and imagine they're going to build a three hundred million five G network, which will target some of the homes without uh, broadband, mm. which we might have to pay. Uh, the tenders are the uh, winning consortium yeah. for the broadband rollout. So yeah. and I, I mean, it's and aren't, aren't Brussels protesting against five uh, G uh, rollout in their area as well? So. Well, there's the whole Huawei, uh, you mm. know, are they spies or are they not? And look at how the, uh, look at the British and Gavin Williamson's uh, sacking yeah. uh, for, for supposedly uh, well, leaking from the end. That felt struck me too, Council, because yeah. uh, that, that story on the front page of the Sunday Times uh, by John Mooney is about uh, a warning given to ministers, which is precisely the sort of leak that got Gavin Williamson sacked, albeit perhaps in, in slightly less a sensitive yeah. form. But, but nonetheless, I, it's, it's a cabinet meeting. Yeah, but, but on, the, on the politics of this, I mean... When will someone come out and say something like, you know, damn Brexit, uh, you know, we are a sovereign state and we will take electoral decisions based on our, our, our sovereignty as a state, mm. but we can't have an election because of Brexit. I mean, I've tried to think about it. I've never seen anything quite uh, like it uh, in terms of Fianna Fáil's attitude towards uh, the possibility of a next election, when they might pull the plug. 
uh, on the grounds of Brexit. Someone in Fianna Gael told me the best thing that ever happened to us was Brexit, simply because they can't be got rid of. <laughs> there is always the question of what happens, you know, the, the, it is still, mm. there's still a window before these contracts are signed, you know, between four four months, six months. Yeah, um, that, yeah. So what happens if there's a general election between between now and then and a different configuration of government comes into power, maybe led by Fianna Fáil or Fianna Fáil as a, as a you know, again, in the driving seat, mm. then what happens, you know, mm. before the contracts are signed? So, mm. you know, it's a, it's, you know, it is a political and f- economic morass, to be absolutely mm. honest with you. Um, I, I think we should have a, uh, a referendum. Oh, good on, God. On, on the introduction yeah, of broadband. So. Broadband as a right. I think Finland introduced it as a, a, a yeah. right for their people in 2010. No, if we can't put things into the Constitution, no, that's really like... Actually, on that note, let's tease that out for just a second because, Gary, we've had talk about whether there should be a right to housing in the Constitution and the government has water. pretty cool on that. Well, public ownership of water, as I think, from a right to water, yeah, of course. And, I mean, I'm against putting things into Constitutions, as I've said on this show, and countless other I mean, because of the law of unintended uh, consequences. You go back to 1983. I mean, I know it's obviously a different issue. Mm. Uh, an abortion, the Eighth Amendment. Look at all the trauma that cost over a generation or so. Uh, I just think putting things into constitutions <laughs> is just very dangerous because of that. Uh, the right to a home, the right to water, public the, ownership, and the, public ownership is really important yeah. in terms of this whole well, broadband issue. What, what about yeah. the rise to the uh, the lower tax rate for any income up to fifty thousand euro? Is that going to now be uh, I mean, heading out to the backyard uh, after this? Oh, I would have think I would think so. <laughs> Just putting it bluntly, uh, but I mean the trouble with. You know, I'm not sure I was saying be facetious or not. I, uh, I thought you might have been. <laughs> yeah. uh, just looking at your demeanour uh, for the listeners. Uh, but uh, where would, where where does it end? I think that that's that's the, the problem. Uh, on uh, that note, actually, uh, Shane, if you want to respond back to that, and also because you were sitting there very politely while Gary had a bit of a go at the whole idea of procurement and consultants and capital infrastructure and how it's just a blank check for all of your members. Would you care to respond on that? <laughs> I, I didn't hear that <laughs> in his accusation. No, uh, look, the procurement. I think you're being Yates like in your decision. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, I think the uh, no, absolutely, I do. I think the the procurement system has has had flaws, and you know it really does need an upgrade. Our our members are waiting, sitting and waiting to develop whatever is agreed on eventually. Um, but uh, like any of these major projects, there's there's always protests. They're they're part of the delay, and we would often, as an industry, be accused of you know uh, I suppose a lack of productivity and so on. But generally, when you're dealing with a project, the companies the construction mm. companies can be very productive but there's so many uh, junctures along the way and you're dependent on so many people in the ecosystem of yeah. the project well, you know, planning etc et Honest cetera. question oh. as, as an addendum to that is there enough building staff in the country to do all of that and all of the other major capital projects and all of the home building that we're expecting to have in well, the next 10 we're, years We're 2016 we rang an alarm bell saying we needed about 100,000 additional workers just to deliver what was being promised in in the housing and the infrastructure strategies Mm. Um, with productivity measures more technology you could bring that down Uh, IBEC recently said we'd require around 80,000 additional workers Um, we've a thousand people a month coming into the industry since 2013 since the recession for Mm. construction ended but they're all going into commercial property hotels student accommodation and so on. The house building thing hasn't really kicked off yet. I know we'll talk about it later on. Mm. So when you get a big project like the Children's Hospital and Intel, which is hopefully coming down the line, like the the pressure puts on capacity is huge, you know. So we, we have been ringing the alarm bell to say there are certain areas where skills, uh, acute skills shortages are going to be uh, uh, evident in future mm. and we really need to work on it.
Can we call those uh, digitally disadvantaged areas? Can we just in future for shorthand refer to them as areas that have neither Netflix nor chill? I think it's perfectly reasonable when you've had such a landmark and significant judgment to take a little bit of time to actually allow the Attorney General and legal experts, of which I'm not one, interpret the judgment and then advise the government. And I'd be encouraging everybody to abide by that. The Minister for Health, Simon Harris, speaking on Friday as the uh, legal and medical world continue to try to get to grips with the fallout from the Ruth Morrissey judgment. We are still going through the Sunday papers with Lee's Hand, Professor Gary Murphy and Shane Dempsey. Uh, Lee, I'll come to you first on this. Is there anything that stands out in today's coverage of uh, screening and, and the fallout from that? That, that strikes you? Well, again, you know, there, it's 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 sort of going through the... A, a lot of the attention is on the various spats that have kind of emerged out of this. I mean, mm. I think everybody was... You know, a few eyebrows went up uh, during the week when you had, you know, the legal profession in direct collision with the many consultants over... Mm. Uh, the fallout and implications of the of the uh, of the Morrissey judgment, um, which is poetic, really, the clash between the law and medicine, which we're seeing playing out here, isn't it? Oh, it is. I mean, it really is. And it's but, you know, funny thing, it's 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 so almost like a, I suppose, part two of what happened uh, last summer when uh, yes. in the wake of the Vicky Phelan case mm. where you had a massive foment uh, and a lot of people running around trying to, you know, making very, very statements about the implications of what the break, you know, the screening, the cervical check would have for uh, the screening programs and mm. so on. And this is almost like part two of that, uh, except this time it involves uh, medics and, and the legal profession. And again, you ironically have um, Simon Harris stepping in saying this is time for everyone to take a deep breath, not rush into judgment, which is exactly what the government did this time last year. Mm. So um, a lot of the coverage really is having, you know, is the really having long, deep dives into the into the screening process. Mm. Um, looking at you know arguing that the the judgment doesn't necessarily say that uh, you know it's not saying that all screening is terrible and the you know it doesn't necessarily mean that all screening projects are at risk and that they should be you know suspended mm. although there are some who think that they might be at risk because I see that the statement that was issued yesterday from the president of the Royal College of Surgeons uh, Mr Kenneth Mealy and he was commenting among other things it's a very long statement so I won't read it in full but he did say that um, the RCSI was concerned that the standard of absolute confidence mentioned in the judgment by Mr Justice Kevin Cross will be impossible to attain and may have multiple unintended consequences including additional unnecessary tests and procedures on patients who do not have cancer and this is a statement that they, they withheld from issuing on until a good eight or nine days after the ruling came out. So this is something that's been thoughtfully put together and meditated. This isn't just a snap judgment on their part. Absolutely. But again, even within the, the medical profession, you, you do have differences of opinion. I mean, in um, Dan O'Brien's piece in Sunday Independent, he name checks uh, Dr. Alien Rogers, who's the chair of the Irish Surgical Training Group, who said, um, you know, the onus is on us to protect the screening programme we have rather than cripple it and render it in, in completely ineffective. Mm. Uh, it's not ideal, but it's better than nothing. So even within the medical profession, you know, you have differences of opinion about how we should proceed from here. And listening, I am not an expert in this, I don't pretend to be, but having listened to the commentary from both sides, the um, legal profession um, particularly uh, seem to be saying, look, this judgment didn't mean that, you know, everything should be suspended and, and, you know, an absolute decision has to be given on everything. Mm. It was misinterpreted. It was a rush to judgment. So, again, and with the added complication, and again, you have the members of the medical profession saying, look, litigation is a huge thing. It's a massive part. It has a chilling effect on our profession. People are leaving the business because they're afraid of getting sued if we if we misread or misdiagnose uh, a test. So, mm. 
you've, you, they're at sixes and sevens with themselves over on, on this one. And I think the, I think this is what happened this week, I think, is the boiling over of a long simmering problem that really has been in existence since last summer um, mm. over the parameters for screening, what, you know, what protections are in place, not just for the, for the, the say, victims of a misdiagnosis or a wrong reading, but also for the profession themselves. So I think what we're seeing this week, it's a mm. boiling over of that row. Yeah. Mm. I, I, Gary? I, yeah, what struck me about it, I thought Dan O'Brien's piece was very, very good. And even the headline says it all. Screening saves uh, many lives, it needs protecting, which I think mm. everybody would, would agree with mm. and the quote us to the sub-editor for, for summing up Dan's piece very nicely there. Uh, but he does talk about, you know, these are two of the strongest lobby groups in the state, uh, the medics and the lawyers, uh, they're great for protecting um, themselves uh, and each other. So it's, uh, I mean, it, it is, to go back to Lisa's point earlier, it's a bit of a morass. Uh, I think what we can all agree on is that, uh, is that headline and it does need to be uh, protected. Uh, and again, if you do, there's only one figure, uh, unusually in many ways, for a column written by Tanner O'Brien, <laughs> we talked about 2.7 billion, uh, the cost of the government's broadband plan mm-hmm. is, is, where, is what we're tied up now in, uh, in uh, in litigation, so or in, in um, medical liabilities and whatnot. So, yes. um, I think uh, I think that Simon Harris who, again. I think bona fides are, are are well meant in this case, but he's got a got a tough job ahead of him. Yeah, mm. I, I noticed that another piece that's in today's papers is by Anna Doherty. It's on page 17 yeah. of the Sunday Business mm. Post. And Anna Doherty, people might not have heard her name much, but they will have heard the name of her predecessor because her predecessor was Professor Gornia Flannelly and she was the clinical director um, of Breast Check. Uh, sorry, she's, sorry, excuse me. Anna Doherty is the clinical director of Breast Check. Gornia Flannelly had the similar role in Cervical Check, sorry for to, to lead people astray. Um, but Anna Doherty writes, and it's a very eloquent piece about the whole fear of failure, but the inherent risk that there is in, in screening processes Um, Her last two paragraphs begin Unfortunately for individuals whose cancer is not diagnosed through screening the consequences may be grave and can give rise to the feeling that the programme has failed However, such failures are to be expected and are, at this point in time largely unavoidable and whether the cross-judgment signals the end of cancer screening cancer, cancer screening programmes in Ireland is still uncertain. But it is time for an informed discussion between clinicians, the HSE, the Department of Health, our politicians, the judiciary and the Irish public on whether screening should continue in this country. Uh, that sounds, Shane, like very much a, a call to arms that we have to make a fundamental decision I, I as to whether so, yeah. screening is tenable at all. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it is and it's hugely beneficial. So it has to be protected back to Dan O'Brien's uh, piece and what Gary has said there. Um, in one of the articles, uh, it mentioned that over 150 lives have been saved through the screening process. Mm. You know, So look, that's it. That's that's it proven as, as worthy. Uh, I think there's a, there is a lot of heat in the debate at the moment and there is, I think the last paragraph there you've read out is very good. There does mm. need to be a discussion. Um, I don't think the language of uh, claiming people are hysterical was very helpful either. I think that probably inflamed the situation. Mm. Um, and of course, behind all of this, Ruth Morrissey was forced through the court, even though it's it's part two, as you've said, Lise, of, of a, an ongoing issue yeah. in screening. But the principle of screening has to be protected. It is, I mean, even uh, on our construction sites, we'll have um, health insurance companies sending screening vans and our workers are being tested for blood pressure, etc. And they're really? catching, they're catching so much stuff mm. that would never be that would never be you'd never report yourself you know and the hardy man would kind of go on and say no it is just incredible so that that would then be an illustration of something where that's a screening process and and most screening services by their nature are not 100% reliable they don't catch absolutely everything Mm. but because of the potentially chilling Mm. effect of the ruling last week it would mean that you couldn't run a service like that Um, Gary Murphy to to be cynical for a moment I don't mean to be cynical for something which is so grave and and so important to so many people and their, their health and their well-being but 
when Simon Harris calls for everyone to take a bit of a, a breath and reflect and to just to, to cool the jets for a moment, is there a possibility there that he's still trying to buy time because the government is still in the process of setting up A, the tribunal which is supposed to take the likes of Ruth Morrissey's case mm. out of court and B, because they're still trying to get the HPV vaccine rolled out which would ideally prevent this cancer from ever occurring in the future? Uh, I, I, potentially, I think, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that uh, uh, summation, uh, but I think uh, like Michael McDowell has a cut off Simon Harris in the back page of the Business Post today, where I think he calls the. Um, that doesn't sound like him. Uh, the, the, I think he uses the word disastrous in relation to the um, sending out screening or sending out uh, letters to to every woman in the country to get screened again. Yeah. Um, and and the cost and the delay that that has uh, that has caused uh, tribunals of inquiry. I mean, we've been there before. These again. Uh, can be very useful if they're done quickly and properly but they can go on and on and on and on as the Moriarty uh, and Flood Stroke Mahan tribunals yeah. went on and at the end of the day they're just uh, you know they'll be disputed by, by both sides particularly mm. the sides who are uh, critiqued or complained of um, and politics is very instant isn't it I mean it, everything is rushed to get out a, a comment whether yeah. it's on broadband or the National Children's Hospital overruns uh, and uh, so I have some sympathy for yeah. his for his point to but cool but I mean it's easy for I mean, in one way, it's easy for him to say that yeah. when he because uh, it, it takes the heat off well, to an extent. When you say that everything these days is, is instant and to a certain amount, of course, it is. But Lise, it's not always instant in terms of action because it's now is it 13 or 14 months since uh, Vicky Field and everything that, that brought to the fore. And we still don't have the legislated for open disclosure that yeah, we I talked so much about Sorry. last time last year. I mean, that's yeah. the, you know, they're... On one level, you have you know knee-jerk reactions, but then you know immediately it's followed by kicking cans down roads, which mm. would seem to be a contradiction in terms, but it makes political, you know, in the world of politics, it makes sense, you know. So I mean, it's it's again, it goes everything goes back to. I mean, I've t- I was talking to somebody in government about this uh, not that long ago, and you know, it's it's part of this. You know, every single piece of legislative plane is circling. Leinster House because of Brexit. Mm, yeah. Everything is backed up. No decisions have been taken. Yeah. Budgets aren't been allocated. And, ev- you know, everything goes back to the B word. You know, this is the trouble. Yeah. Now, you know, I think given that this is actually life and death, that the, you know, priorities should be given uh, to the rollouts, you know, the, the rollout of the vaccine. Mm. They seem to make, the, you know, th- this government seems to be particularly great at announcing great measures. But then when you're, you know, diving into you know, how much it's going to cost, you know, are yeah. there any objections? Have we got contracts? Have you signed the contracts? And the contracts everyone been gets seen? frightened. Have yeah. there been the you know have the you know the eyes been dotted and the t's been crossed? There are then questions remain to be asked. But you know, just going back to the cancer screening program, I mean, you know, as Dan O'Brien pointed out, the the, the cervical screening program costs thirty two million annually. Yeah. In the great scheme of things, you know, it's worth every single penny of that. Manchester City is still alive here. Balotelli, Aguero. You'll uh, forgive uh, myself and Lee's hand as the Man United supporters in the room if we're suspiciously quiet for the next 13 minutes after having that little uh, episode of PTSD. Stop doing that. 
<laughs> they just keep doing that. We're all still thinking about 2012 and I was going to go off on a tirade and Stephen told me not to, but I'm still aggrieved about how after City equalised to go 2 all, and this is seven years ago, I'm still annoyed about how QPR in taking the kickoff decided not to retain possession, but to hoof the ball directly back down to Joe Hart to allow Man City launch another phase of possession. But I'm getting the red light flecked at me, so we will move on a little bit. Please stop playing that. Uh, it is Gavin Riley with you until one o'clock, slowly trying to get over that sweat of seven years ago, uh, alongside uh, Lee's hand, Gary Murphy and Shane Dempsey. Um, we were talking a little bit before the break around uh, legislative back jams uh, and everything else. Uh, Lee's, uh, before we talk about the national poll, uh, there's a few issues in the papers that you wanted to go through, uh, particularly as ever, uh, the age old uh, rivalries within parties and also some of the gender tones that there are to it all. Ah yes, well the the, the turf war uh, mm. it's something that the gift that keeps on giving in every in every election where you have particularly a European election where you have two candidate strategies mm. and you know right on cue we have a the third I think uh, turf beef materialised in today's Sunday Times a story by Stephen O'Brien uh, where Anne Rabbit who is the um, one of two European candidates uh, for Fianna Fáil mm. in the Midlands Northwest. She's describing herself as Fianna Fáil's best kept secret because she is claiming that she has been repeatedly excluded from television d- debates. Because there now, have been obvi- three to date and she three. hasn't been on any of them. Is that right? Yes, now they argue that she had been on ones previously and okay. that the balance is completely equal. But of course, this comes on the back of Andrew Doyle, who is one of three candidates running for Fine Gael in uh, Ireland South who was uh, most aggrieved this week when he was uh, he, he claimed he was instructed by the Charlie Flanagan who's Fine Gael's Director of Elections to withdraw from a European debate in Cork this week because that's not his turf and this follows on from Malcolm, Malcolm uh, Byrne for Fianna Fáil in Ireland South mm. also getting up in arms um, because he described Billy Kelleher as yeah. Billy Onesie Kelleher because of an encroachments on their carefully divided up turf this is, goes, this is par for the course of course mm because particularly this seems to be particularly tight in many of the three constituencies there's a lot of there's going to be a lot of dog fights for the last seat mm. so everybody is very very protective of their turf and mm. you know and there's also a beef by the way between Mairead McGuinness yeah. and Maria Walsh as well in um, in the Midlands Mairead McGuinness turf uh, incursions and I'm sure it's nothing to do with Mairead McGuinness but it's just the nature of the constituencies that she finds herself in whether it's the eastern one and it's some sort of Dublin plus suburbia or mm. whether it's the northern half of the country she continually seems to find herself in this bother whether it's with Avril Doyle or then whether it was with Jim Higgins and now it's with uh, Maria Walsh the former Rosa Tralee who's running on that side of the constituency yes. that she just can't she, seem to stay out of it She doesn't and I mean the thing is you know all the polls show that she's you know more or less home and hosed because you know though she won't thank me for saying that but you yeah. know she is I mean she's I was uh, you know I was uh, on a canvas down in um, in Kilkenny I was in a, a mart in Kilkenny and uh Far from Mart, I was rare now, I have to say, but I had great fun. But all the farmers uh, were saying, I'm voting for Rain McGuinness. And I was out with Malcolm Byrne and Malcolm Byrne had to say, well, actually, no, you can't because she's, she's not in your constituency. constituency yeah. But they all knew her. Like she is the kind of the, the rock star of the farming community. But the other small story in the Sunday Times that caught my notice was, and it's a particular beef of mine, um, the National Women's Council of Ireland uh, were call- are calling for gender quotas to be introduced mm. in future local elections because both Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael have refused... You know, have not made the quotas and I was personally I was appalled when I heard that they had backslid yes. a decision had well, been made to backslide re- on this Remind us what the informal quota is for female it's candidates It's 30% uh, which was a uh, target set by whom? 
It was a target set by um, set by the government itself the and government Minister itself. John Paul Phelan yeah, it and Minister John Paul Phelan who's the Director of Elections for Fine Gael has absolutely. managed to not deliver his party in compliance with that own well, quota they, see, they, they put them in place for the last general election and it worked because mm. there was a financial penalty attached to this they mm. were going to lose funding if public they funding, yeah. public funding mm-hmm. if they didn't meet the target so by God they all they all got their act together in the, at the last moment this time instead of uh, the stick they got a carrot mm. which was meet your target and you'll get a certain number uh, per candidate to employ an, uh, an equality and diversity officer. This doesn't work for political parties. Yeah. They need to be beaten with a stick very, well, very <laughs> repeatedly and very, with, with great vigour in order to actually, Shane. you know, yeah. to introduce agenda. Why voters. is it that they always need a stick and not a carrot chain? Um, I'm not quite sure. I'm, I'm just draw, or looking at Michael Brennan's A to Z of the local elections here in the Sunday Business Post and uh, straight down to W. Yeah. What, what's uh, Z, by the way? Uh, Z is Z. Z's as in what people will be doing oh, after okay, the right. election. <laughs> or, we're okay. do, or we'll be doing <laughs> well different right, elections. Yeah. Uh, w is for women. So uh, there is... Uh, 525 uh, women running in office compared to 314 in the last local elections. Okay. But it's still, it's an improvement, but it's still under the 30% yeah. uh, informal guidelines. So I'm, I'm blessed in that my sister, who's running in uh, the local elections, Ashling, she's part of a, an all-female Fianna Fáil ticket. I think it's the only one in the country. So there's three female uh, candidates there and uh, everything is harmonious in all areas there are looked after. There is a couple of councils, so I think, at that, have, them, that yeah. have no women at all. Is it, yeah. um, I don't to like land myself in trouble mm. might be somewhere one of the Offaly councils or somewhere that Where literally no the makeup the configuration of the outgoing council mm. has no women whatsoever mm. so on that's Europe, not great on Europe there's a very easy uh, political analysis to uh, to your point about divisions within uh, in constituencies is that politicians just like getting number one votes they don't like giving them away <laughs> um, Brian Crawley was always famous for this stuff Fianna yeah. Fáil uh, mad when he uh, took really no notice of divisions of constituencies um, so it's hard to blame them really because that's that's in their DNA they don't like saying oh yeah you know really vote for Andrew although you know really vote for me yeah. uh, so that's, well, that's that's the easy well, and very simple and but common sense well, see, solution to that is a perfect and by the way there are uh, yeah. just in the interest of balance there are other candidates available who aren't uh, Shane Sister in whatever district <laughs> she is running in just lest, lest we be accused of of trying to sew the whole thing up um, but I am looking at the just on that note um Gary, I'm looking at the, the European count for Ireland South last time. We're looking at Brian Crowley, who only needed um, 20%, I think, of the vote to get in. He yeah. got 274 um, But not a huge amount of that vote went to his Fianna Fáil running mate because with European elections, they don't always go to no, party. They, they can go to geography and everything well, else too. European elections, local elections and presidential elections, famously. We, remember, we all remember poor Gay Mitchell got 6.5% mm. uh, in the 2011 presidential election, only nine months after Fianna Gael nearly got an overall majority. Um, so yeah, European elections are like that and this is the problem in Ireland South in particular and I think this is why it's very hard to call is because we know that many of Crowley's uh, votes I know Brian Crowley for, for, for like two mm. de- three decades practically uh, ah, the Cork Mafia well, it's quite <laughs> um, but we don't know where those votes are going to go because many of them were, were, were a personal, personal yes, vote for, yeah. for him clearly and I think that's why Fianna Fáil and themselves are a bit obsessed yeah, he was so mad amount it was 181,000 well, or something extraordinarily popular individual you know and, and his back injury certainly was uh, well, disability was uh, I, 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 I do think to be fair to him what, what, what was it was an issue in relation to talk about him not performing at the Europe or within the European mm. uh, Parliament and I remember Simon Harris who we just discussed earlier he nearly took 
a seat for Fine because he actually got too many first preference votes. Yeah. Uh, with Deirdre Clune, uh, you know, who had spent some vast amount of money trying to get elected, and I'm sure. And, it's and then geography kicked in again. Well, of course. Yeah. So I think this is this is part of the thing. I have some sympathy uh, for all these politicians because Ireland, so and Ireland, whatever we call it, no Midlands, Northwest, are just so geographically vast. Mm. Yeah. I think this is one of the uh, the, the, the problems. Yeah. L- looking at the uh, the vote from last time, yeah, Brian Crowley, he, the quota was 131,000 votes, and he got 180,000. But then when all of the surplus was distributed Kieran Hartley his running mate got only 20,000 out of that 50 which shows that it doesn't always follow uh, party loyalty and I think to be fair to him the problem was he didn't have a name recognition really outside his, his local which is true, yeah. and yeah. I think this is part of the problem for Malcolm Byrne who's a very able candidate and has been on the go a long time but will he will, will his name travel to Kerry to Clare uh, you know, to do the western part of the South constituency mm. as distinct from his local base in the, well, in the sunny s- South East Speaking as well. of people who may need to go to their constituencies and we talked before the break about the prospect of everything being kept in legislative logjam and everyone speculating when the next general election might be. Do you think that the Irish Times poll that we saw yesterday taken between Tuesday and Thursday of this mm. week margin of error of 2.5% so thereby taken at a time when Leo Varadkar was just getting over the Waterford Hospital issue and then had all the broadband stuff uh, that the idea of leading Fianna Gael or leading Fianna Fáil only 29 points to 26 might soften the cough from some who want him to, to pull the plug a little bit early. Yeah, and of course the the rumour in always is that Leo is Leo himself is the person who actually does want to go mm. uh, to the country. Uh, I think we should be polls are and, and there, there are two types of polls at the moment one is putting Fine Gael significantly ahead about 8 to 9 points ahead and one is then much tighter yeah. as we saw mm. with the Irish Times poll I think what will worry uh, Fine Gael and will worry the Taoiseach himself is his own popularity is, is collapsing yeah pretty, 7 pretty, points well, to significantly yeah, and that, yeah. that is a drop but I, mm. I think in the post-crash electoral landscape uh the campaign is much more important than it was in the sort of glory days of Hockey and Fitzgerald where we kind of knew Fianna Fáil would get in the early 40s. Fianna Gael would get in the mid-30s although they were closer in 1982. Uh, but all that, all that predictability is gone and we only have to uh, ref, ref, reference mm. the 2016 general election where Enda Kenny was about nine points ahead of Fianna Fáil in January or in November. Yeah. Joan mm. Burton convinced him not to go to the country then. I think yeah. he regrets it to yeah. this day. And we saw Fianna Fáil close the gap. Why did they close the gap? Because they had a barnstorming campaign yeah. Yeah, and Michal Martin really performed very well. Yeah, Please. and I think with local elections there's always received wisdom that the government, the party in power will get a kicking. Will get a good kicking. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. so really, you know, the onus is probably on the two main political par- uh, opposition parties, uh, Fianna Fáil and uh, Sinn Féin, to up their vote and t- you know otherwise it, if they don't make significant gains in the locals it will be seen as a you know as a as a bad day d- out there will, there will be a bit of a, a bounce against Fine Gael I think but I don't see Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin getting the main bump uh, from that I, th- I think the Greens could do well enough oh, in yeah, Dublin yeah. Uh, this time around particularly with the backdrop of all the environmental uh, uh, issues going on the plastics and so on but mm. uh, yeah the two parties in power one of the reasons for the legislative uh, paucity is that um, civil servants aren't sure they can get any of the legislation mm. through so they're mm. just not tabling it and I think my view on the the uh, arrangement has always been if you can't get a monopoly a duopoly will do and you hold on to that <laughs> as long as possible you know. And of course the local elections in 2014 were the great catalyst for Fianna Fáil's comeback from mm. the electoral tsunami mm. of the 2011 mm. yeah. uh, general election so they are I think local elections are uh, are very important. That's why we see the plethora of posters all across the uh, uh, the state, which, uh, as I've been on the record before, but I'll say it again now, will I have the chance, are really a good thing. I mean, it's a good thing that people know there's an election on and know who their candidates are, notwithstanding the sort of zealots uh, who insist that we should have no posters because... Mm. Uh, 
well of reasons best known to themselves. Um, Shane, are you one of those zealots who would rather we didn't have election posters in this day and age? Uh, no, they're absolutely essential. Um, and there's nothing worse than canvassing an area when posters aren't up because nobody has a clue what you're doing. Uh, or mind even when election is on and elections that. are their heart, the light mm. blood of our well, well, it's interesting, again, on the doors, I've, you know, when I've been out, I've found that the awareness of the local elections is very high, very sky high, and people are yes. quite engaged. And not Europe. But Europe, most yeah. quite a lot of times people mm. would say, you know, when I was out with candidates, what are you doing? Who are you, mm, yeah. you know, which area are you running in? And, and you know, it was and, for and Europe. The they'd be like, and then well, there's the divorce yeah, referendum the and then there's the mayoral plebiscite. The mayoral ple- uh, plebiscites. Quick word on that actually, Lise, it seems to have gone completely under the radar. Is there any prospect of them passing? I mean, we haven't seen any opinion polls. We've no idea how they're going. Not, I, yeah, I, I, I have a funny feeling it could be a case of I'm not sure what, what's going on here so I'm going to vote no. Yeah. Um, I think particularly Waterford is proving extremely resistant yeah. to the whole notion. And, you know, I think there, uh, Justin McCarthy has a very good column on this in the Sunday Times. But, you know, I, I think again it goes back to something Gary touched on earlier. I mean, you know, politicians don't like ceding power mm. so I don't think any of the local politicians are too keen on, on the notion of handing some of their powers over to a mayor who and again the you know what powers they will actually have is up, is up for massive debate yeah. as well whether it's just a vanity project that's going to cost quite a lot of money in terms of what they're going to earn yeah. so I am not sure about it I really am not I think it could be if in doubt you know leave it out yeah, kind be of interested to see if it actually does get thrashed out at all in the airwaves mm. or newsprint in the next two weeks well, because it seems to have gone really under the radar there, there, there's been very little uh, and uh, I think one of the issues, one of the fears, of course, is potential celebrity candidates uh, down the line. Uh, and mayors can be, mayors of big cities can be extraordinarily powerful. We only have to look at Boris Johnson, uh, Ken Livingston yeah. in London. Mm. Look look what happens in, in New but York. But Justine was suggesting Roy Keane, yeah. wasn't she, she for was, mayor of Cork? Begins, and I'm sure I personally might even swap my vote down there. I'd, I'd love, love to see him do, do, doing the whole <laughs> thing in City Hall. We're like, all oh, credit to the strategic management plan. Uh, I, I can't wait. I'm all for that idea. Um, Gary, on, on on a similar note, you have chosen not to wear your uh, your last Liverpool uh, Championship jersey, probably your uh, candy dishwashers one from the late 1980s into studio today. No, it's my 02 Cork 2005 uh, jersey uh, that I really should have worn. I mean, I, if you told me in 2005 on the first Sunday of September that Cork wouldn't win in All-Ireland uh, in 2019, I mean, I've gone through my whole 40s without Cork winning. I just, I'm yeah. just, just it just <laughs> pains me. It's fantastic. So uh, I'm all set for the great... Uh, the great quest yeah. for the whole uh, grail of the lame Shane uh, <laughs> very quickly any skin in the game as regards today's Premier League finale or GAA no rugby um, so living with the hangover of the uh, Leinster defeat yeah, yesterday yeah, which is pretty yep. depressing now yeah. I have to say and uh, Lise and I will just pretend that the Premier League never existed and we're all looking we forward will. to the Europa we're League just doing next year magical the 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 <laughs> he just keeps doing that keeps doing that uh, more on the final day uh, coming up after the break but we're going to have to leave it there for now uh, Lise Hand Gary Murphy and Shane Dempsey thank you all very much for joining me this morning